Hello there, welcome. Uh, this is the Week Six podcast. Uh, my name is Julian Felix. Uh, I'm I'm joined today by my co-host uh, Nicole. Uh, how do you say your last name, Nicole? Schiffer. Nicole Schiffer. Nicole Schiffer. And then uh, we have uh, the homie uh, Cuauhtémoc Mauricio uh, down below. Say hi to the folks, Cuauhtémoc. How's it going, Cuauhtémoc Mauricio? All right. And our topic for this t- today is. Uh, migration and language and I I think when we're talking about migration and language um, it's all wrapped up within like uh, you know United States citizenship English only policies and um, I think surrounding that is a lot of bigotry and stereotypes that resulted from the media uh, common sense understandings of like common sense deficit views of migrants and um, you know I think a lot about the fact that they try to pit poor people against poor people and say that, you know, the, the immigrants and uh, migrants who are fleeing violence and persecution and economic uh, instability, uh, they're really taking up people's jobs and making it harder for people to live when I feel like uh, that's really not the case. When people say this is America, we speak English here, what they mean is I only want white people, right? Like that's where the bigotry we cover it up with this idea of English only as though it's English. That's the issue. Yeah, definitely. I think there's like a sort of paternalism to it where, you know, it's like the school telling you that you need these skills to survive and to do good in like life. Right. And to a certain degree, you do need to understand English to get around and to, you know, navigate. But I think the way in which they do it is violent because it diminishes and demoralizes and denigrates the knowledges, the skills, and the culture of the student who may not be coming from an English-speaking household, you know? And how, how does that influence a student's own interpretation of their place in the world and, their, and, you know, the decisions of their parents and their community? Yeah, English is a global language that's used all over the world for all kinds of business, and, and it is a useful skill to speak English, but English only is so short-sighted because the world is not English only. Have y'all heard of the state Save Our State initiative? I have not. No, what is it's that? Ba- it's basically why there was a whole uh, campaign that was saying that our students are failing because we're taking time out of their English acquisition time to teach like bilingually, right? So uh, programs who spent thousands and thousands of dollars buying bilingual books and uh, investing in bilingual resources, after that, that mandate was passed, they had to get rid of all of their re- books and all of their programming and they basically had to do English only. So what that Save Our State says is it says uh, that you can be in a like basic bilingual class for one year only. But after that, it's basically like a sink or swim model where you have to only speak English and uh, Spanish is basically not tolerated or other languages. Excuse me. It's not only Spanish speaking students who are dealing with language I think we're, that's an easy thing to forget. You know, there's other languages. That was um, Prop 227 in the 90s, I think, that cut back. Yeah, was, I think it was 98. Yeah, I feel like we need some, like, outline or talking points, I feel like. Yeah. I guess then in 2016, there was Prop 58 repealed bilingual education restrictions. So that now it's up to school districts, school systems to decide 
what's appropriate for the students in their district. So that's progress, I guess. And that's what made room for all these DLI programs, dual language immersion programs, because those were technically illegal under 227 English only. In Macedo's article, he talks about how students are learning not just from teachers and from scholars in schools, you know, but teach students are learning from media. And I think when I'm thinking about, you know, the era of Prop 227 and what followed it, it was a lot of anti-immigrant rhetoric and um, where like tons and tons of people flooded Los Angeles to support immigrants and uh, migrant rights. But like the way I think about it is like what actually got accomplished from those right from those um, marches, you know, um, my family's still struggling with like uh, citizenship status. And I know that a lot of them have uh, looked at lawyers and have looked at and talked to people who know about the laws. And right now, what it, the law is, is that they would have to go back to their home country for 10 years and then reapply because they've already messed up at some point in the process. So I think um, they're really hoping that with this election of Joe Biden, that he does something. But I'm very doubtful of that. And um, I think it's, you know, the U.S. apparatus is a very um, dangerous thing to try to you know have faith in right now okay so in lessons from the educational borderlands documenting the pedagogies of migration of chicana chicano latino latina undocumented immigrant students and household lopez um, uses um, critical race theory the framework of critical race theory as well as um lat crit or latino um, critical theory to um, support his framework of, of, of pedagogies of migration. So his pedagogies of migration centers, uh, centers teaching and learning that takes place in Chicano, Latino, documented immigrant households and communities. So his aim for this pedagogy of migrations is to move away from viewing um, um, the, the, it moves away from blaming um, individuals by their culture, race, and immigration status. So instead of viewing those communities as having a deficit, it's, it's viewing them in, in, in a framework that says it's the, the things they learn in their household are actually assets. Beautiful. That's such an important yep. point. Yeah, so as teachers, we have to find, bring out the our students' language assets and also their life experience assets and figure out how to make those work for kids in school. Yeah, um, if y'all ever have a chance, um, you also have this beautiful book um, that's about counter narratives and uh, re I guess regular narratives. But one of the most important like terms that she like uses in it is um, community cultural wealth. And like there's seven different aspects to community cultural wealth, like aspirational capital, navigational capital, linguistic capital, familial capital. Um, and I, that, I think when you're talking about those life skills, those are like ways in which we can frame them so that we can use them in like scholarly work and to justify them because we are like in these like institutions and spaces, we basically have to justify and find ways to, you know, explain to like, I guess, academia and 
the institution that these kids are, are full of potential and full of, um, you know, community cultural capital, wealth. And capital, right? And work yeah, wealth, capital. yeah. Yeah, they have wealth and funds of knowledge that they can pull from. But under like schooling, I guess, those funds of knowledge aren't recognized because we are looking for very, very specific forms of knowledge that have been legitimized over, you know, the last 400, 500 years of European um, exceptionalism or European dominance, I don't know. Yeah, that normativity. And we're looking for things in our students that we can measure with the tools that already exist, the standardized tests, the essay formats, the things that we already know how to use. We're trying to fit everybody into that box to save us the trouble of redesigning the curriculum, right? To meet the needs of, and to, to meet the, not even the needs, but the, to bring out the capital of our students. Yeah, so one of the things um, the Benavides Lopez article um, suggests is are we as educators including discourse and analysis of undocumented students and families in our scholarship and teaching and our practice? And if so, in what ways are we doing those? So he's kind of pushing this um, theoretical framework of uh, pedagogies of migration to include undocumented students in their learning and ultimately to sustain them and, and to see their success in, in academic spaces. Uh, that's that's really important. So their success in academic spaces is like hugely influential to like the rest of their lives. And I think um, when I'm thinking about ways to like make school more justice oriented, I'm always thinking about how do we change the product? And like maybe this podcast is one of those ways in which we can differentiate. But I want I basically from my point of view, I want to honor students, uh, different funds of knowledge they bring to the classroom. So if they want to rap, uh, I would love for students to rap or to dance or to, you know, show different ways in which they understand, like, you know, the standards, because we do have to teach the standards. Um, I, it right, but me if like they can this, demonstrate mastery yeah. in any way, the point is to yeah. demonstrate mastery of the standards. And Yeah, there's a, there's a, um, oh my God, I don't remember where they're from, but there was a PhD that was done that was all uh, in rap, basically. They wrapped the whole PhD. And I thought that was such a cool thing at the time. I don't know, 2017, I think this was. <sighs> I wish I had more background info on that one. We're killing it, you guys. This is about to be a podcast. So is there is there something like in the news or that we could talk about that's super relevant and connected? Yeah. The election? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Donald Trump is a garbage bag who spews hate, so there's that, <laughs> but I don't know if we should phrase it exactly like that. Well, I mean, Donald Trump pushes ideas that his supporters then enact into violence. I think that's one of the, the ways that I think about it, because, uh, you know, nobody's born to hate immigrants and no one's born to, like, want someone to, this is America, speak English. That's all stuff people learned and people have been acculturated to. So in, in some ways, uh, you know, his rhetoric has pushed like a new era of hate and violence. Right, of nativism, right? Correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but so, so, white nativism. 
and and some people call it patriotism or nationalism i think i'm not sure the difference i guess i think of patriotism as like being proud of where you live and nationalism is being only proud of only where you live and thinking it's better than anywhere else. So patriotism else, you know? doesn't have like that negative. Yeah, patriotism doesn't have the negative connotation then, right? I feel like white nationalists maybe have tried to claim the term patriotism, but I don't think that it has the same. You know, like Nazis okay. were nationalists, but. <laughs> yeah, because I've heard that a lot. Like when activists are doing things like Black Lives Matter and with with um, different, you know movements they they say like we're not doing this because we hate the country we're doing this because we love the country and the people in it and i think i I guess that's that's like a a true patriot right yeah that's what that's my take on patriotism Mm 